0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
1: So feel free to stretch out, say hi to your neighbor if you'd like. Again, everyone. Good to be here with everyone. Can feel the warmth in the air, literally. And yeah. Um, anyone here for the first time at Common Ground? Welcome. Feel free to. Check in with me or Tom and Lisa, our program hosts, if you have any questions afterward. Or Haya in the office, of course. So I want to continue our exploration that Mark <laughs> started last Sunday. On uh, He just, I think, began to touch into more specifically uh, what we could call love. Which, the Pali, Pali is the language the Buddhist teachings are recorded in, the earliest, um, teachings. So our center, Common Ground, sort of takes its basis on early Buddhism, you could say. And the Buddha talked about love, um, as we chanted at the beginning. And, uh, it's interesting. A lot of us probably have done, um, formal, what was usually called loving kindness. Loving kindness is the usual translation for metta, the Pali word. But the word metta, uh, its core etymological meaning is more like friendliness. Um, so we, yeah, it's very interesting, you know, words and, their effects on us and I think ultimately we have to take responsibility for our own perceptions and our own how words land and so I really appreciate flexibility in different translations it's all translations and even the Pali word is a word that had its place in its context so I think what's more important is what Words or images, memories, felt senses remind us of that experience. I heard someone say once that you can only love or know love because you've been loved or because you've seen it modeled, like it's a, it's something that's transmitted because you have some memory of it, or some recollection, some feeling uh, that you can access. Which is interesting, and just really points to the relational reality that we inhabit, and how impacted we are by each other, by our histories, collective histories, individual histories, and how vulnerable we are in that sense, too, I mean... None of us chooses where we're born and what circumstances. And, uh, and we're very sensitive. We're very impacted by each other. But hopefully, all of us can have some, some sense. And it may not be at the top of our, you know, top of our system. It may not be the loudest voice in the room. But I find that sort of memory, um, invitation a useful way of thinking about this because love as an ideal, love as an idea can actually be, um, used, you know, as a, as a judgment. Like, you should be more loving, you should love everyone. I mean, even in the chant we did, you can, you could take it that way. Oh, I should love everyone. I don't think I can do that. Like, I don't think I'm that good. And so then we get into good and judging. So there's, there's a lot here to unpack in this territory of the heart. Another general reframing that's been useful for me is of love as inclusion. Um, love as not in some ways, we can think about what's not there when love is there. Uh, and there's an absence of judgment, of comparing. It's, you know, and we use the word, obviously, the word love in many different ways, and we often use it to mean love with attachment. I love you. I love pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so, you know, it it is confusing. And this is actually, this is, this is the exploration. I really liked Mark's invitation last week. And we'll have some time at the end. It would be great to hear from people about what we've learned about love over the years and, and just different, just how our understanding keeps, keeps developing. You know, what is love? And, how is that different from attachment? How is that different from liking? And I think the core difference, in my understanding, of metta, of love, um, that's inclusive, is that, it's it's what's not there. It's, you know, there's all sorts of different ways of talking about it. Unconditional positive regard is a, you know, a scientific word that's used in psychology. But, I think that's pretty accurate, unconditional positive regard. I mean, the words are kind of dry, but if you sense into what that has actually felt like, if hopefully we've all at some point experienced that from another person, from an animal, from ourselves, when we just realize, oh, you're just doing the best you can. Oh, you're okay. And there's just that unconditional positive regard. But that's not that accessible for a lot of us, I think, because of this deep habit of judgment, um, of, and we, and even of using ideals, using love as an ideal, or using goodness as an ideal. I can only feel love or, you know, feel that, you know, that warmth, that acceptance if I meet certain standards. Yeah. So love as an ideal or uh, doesn't doesn't feel anything. So instead of thinking, you know, even the word loving kindness, I think, has its own kind of context, and um, I think it may have been originally a Christian word. And maybe that word works for you, loving kindness, but it might feel a little grand. So just kindness or loving acceptance. I like the word benevolence. It kind of has, or mercy and benevolence kind of have a similar flavor to me where it's like, you don't have to do anything to deserve this. It's powerful. And it can be, it can bring up, I took the mindful self-compassion class a few summers ago and they talk about backdraft. Which is, you know, you introduce these, these notions, these feelings, these invitations. And then, of course, what comes up, it's like a magnet, it pulls out the opposite. You know, oh, like, uh, yeah, you just have resistance to that. But yeah, and this is where I think it can be useful, you know, because we could get into debates about, well, no, really, I'm not worthy of love. Really. Let me tell you why. And, you know, because we're, we're imperfect. But that's the thing. Love, in this sense, I think I wrote here, imperfect beings seeing ourselves in other imperfect beings. And that's love. That's that connection. It's because we're sensing into that shared vulnerability. That there's actually a putting down of pretense and of that constant comparing mind. It's just kind of that, that exposure. But yeah, so I think more useful than thinking a lot about what love is, trying to define it, and I think, but you know, in terms of our practice, in terms of actually getting more in touch with this quality and having it you know getting more familiar with it you know seeing what comes up working with the backdraft you know the feelings that come up of unworthiness or judgment but uh you know to work on it on that feeling level I like the that memory invitation or the embodiment approach cuz it's then it's not about um Figuring anything out or staking a position. It's just, there's this being here, there's this body here. Do we have any memory? What did it feel like in a moment? And this can be both on the giving or receiving end. And for some of us, you know, one of those might be easier than the others, might bring up less backdraft. Like, what was it like if we can just remember? you know, a recent experience. And it doesn't even have to be specific. The specifics aren't as important, but just um, either, yeah, either on the receiving or giving end of love or of generosity, just. And it can be, it's not, I think the grandiosity is really an element to be on the lookout for and to take out. Like, this is just like, Putting on a sweater when you're cold. (laughs) Getting my a studded tire from my bike on the front so I don't die. (laughs) Feeding, you know, feeding myself, feeding someone else. Yeah, just any moment where that, that was what was being known in just a moment. It, it may not last that long if we don't really, if we're not really on the lookout for what it feels like, if we're not familiar with it, if we don't value it, appreciate it. But that's the invitation. That's the general practice invitation is get to know that feeling and Like like we chanted, the sublime abiding, hang out there. And that's powerful. It's purifying because we're not used to hanging out there. That's not the reality that we think. We We don't think that's reality. I'll read a poem maybe right now that most of you have heard, I think. Uh, Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye. Apparently, it was the most popular poem in 2018. Um, And there's just a line that came to mind right now: the you know um, about knowing the regions between kindness and how long those can be. And I yeah, I sort of was feeling into that as just like not just. In terms of time, but in terms of, um, like how deep we can be in the certainty or in the view that kindness isn't reality, that kindness isn't, you know, you know that it's a unkind world or that this heart is broken or whatever. But maybe I'll just read the poem because I think it's really powerful. Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in the white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. She's pointing at the end there of that possibility of that sublime abiding, like this isn't just an idea. This is a place we can live from. You know, but For most of us, it's going to be moments, but that's, that moment is real, and that moment, it's a, it's a relearning, it's a retraining, and it's cellular. Like, that's why, yeah, I feel that I've really been reorienting my practice a bit since I did this uh, November month-long retreat with Ajahn Suchito, who, that's kind of his general approach is, um, embodiment and felt sense and I i just really appreciate it it's so trustworthy, it's so uh, real and uh, we don't get lost we can't really debate the body it's not a stance, it's the body and, and the mind and heart and the system but its it's just how it is here and now it's kind of our life unvarnished and yet, that's our life. And so what's our relationship with that? And this uh, love or kindness or non-cruelty, non-dismissiveness, uh, non-meanness, for a lot of us it just starts there. And I think that's really powerful in my own experience. Just that. It's that subtle. It's just, oh, I'm being a little bit harsh. And then letting that be known. Because it's just, it's that it's a habit, and maybe it's a culturally sanctioned habit, or culturally reinforced socially reinforced, you know, being hard on ourselves. But when the heart actually opens, or mindful awareness actually feels that, I mean, the body is a great way to see that, just like how we push the body. I mean, even in really subtle ways. Yeah, so when the the sensitive heart is actually feels that, then then it feels it and it it's oh, that's not nice. And so we don't have to do it, we don't have to create it. And so a lot of it is just sensitivity really. There's um, a sign where I over by where I used to live in East Phillips. I used to live at Sprout House, which is a community house. They have a open meditation every night, every Saturday at 930. Yeah, great, and right by there, maybe it's still there. There's a sign on a light post. ASAP, as sensitive as possible. <laughs> how is that our? Is that our, our? Our, MO? Is that our? Is that how we live? <laughs> and you know, it's good to look at that. Like do we value that? And not just sensitivity, but, you know, like in terms of being a sensitive person and like not having good boundaries or not, you know, being able to manage or not manage so much, but um, yeah, so, you know, but I think what's beautiful about it is the the relationship in it you know the it's it's the care it's the love that's in that we it's we don't just want to be sensitive you know i don't know for no reason it's because we care and being sensitive helps us notice what it feels like in ourselves and each other we can't take care of each other we can't take care of ourselves if we're not sensitive That's the first step. You have to feel what it's like to be me. I have to feel what it's like to be me. Feel what it's like to be with you. So a lot of it, at least for me, and people have different personalities, but a lot of it's around that willingness to be as sensitive as I am or willingness to feel. And the truth is, it's hard. It's hard to be sensitive. It's hard to feel what we feel some of the time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I really liked, um, Rebecca Bradshaw was here on Thursday, gave a great talk on how um, the impersonal nature Can be felt, sort of how everything's happening on its own, it's all nature. That's also what supports showing up. You know, when it's me against the world, I'm tight and my heart doesn't have space. But when it's just nature, just things playing themselves out, and there's more nimbleness. Yeah, and she talked about just that natural contraction and opening of the heart, that that too is nature. So the awakening process is nature, the heart opening process is nature, and delusion is nature. Ignorance is nature. Constriction is nature. Culture is nature. So it's it's a natural process. So it's natural that You know, and she was kind of describing this, which was really useful for me to hear again, to be reminded of, like, there's kind of, there's kind of two forces going on. The force of ignorance, and the force of opening to things as they are. And they kind of dance, and they're kind of push and pull, and we open, and, uh, and then, and we, we feel both the aliveness of that, the exposure of that, and, uh, Really, the, the freedom of not being bound by our, what we thought were limitations and, oh, I can deal with this, basically. Life is really hard, life is really intense, but I'm finding that my heart is able to be with it in moments. And that freedom of not needing to add the extra stress of defending, of pretending, that's the, that's the real relief. And then, and then, it closes. It gets scared and uh, goes back to um, to strategies that don't actually work as well. Trying to protect ourselves but creating more stress. And then that hurts too much. And then we're, okay, I'm going to try that opening thing again. <laughs> and it just kind of. Yeah, seems to work like that. So that was helpful to hear again that that's natural. Let's see if there's anything else I wanted to say before I open it up. No, I don't think so. So, let's see what thoughts you have. Maybe that question, what have you learned over the years about love? What have been any significant moments where it's just like, ah, oh, yeah. You know, and maybe it's not so much in the head, oh yeah, but, oh. <laughs> um, or any questions you have. So, yeah, and say your name if you don't mind. <clears throat>
0: My name is Nicole, and um, I have been learning about love in being a mom and realizing what I lacked as a child and then what I'm trying to give my kids and then myself at the same time. And um, something that you said very early on about... Um, maybe not having love modeled in your life, Mm -hmm. Um, just makes me wonder how to go about life assuming that you're not on a level playing field with all of those that were modeled love In their lives. Yeah, yeah. How to go about life without assuming that everybody you met, everybody you meet had more love in their lives (laughs) than you did, and they're coping with life better than you are, and and they don't need you in their lives because they're doing fine, and all you need is love.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I have the same question. Well, yeah, well, I mean, one thing I think that's always good to look at is whenever we, whenever we have any certainty. And often certainty comes with a, a fixed self view. And fixed self views seem to come with stress or constriction in some way because we're kind of setting things in stone. And, and the truth is, things are always changing. Um, and we often, you know, do that as a protection. You know, even, even, you know, um, unhealthy self views give us ground. So, that would, I would be interested in that. I mean, I feel some resonance with, with what you said, so I can speak personally. I am interested in that, because because, uh, well, I may not know what the reality is, you know, the ultimate reality, you know, how much love do I have? How much love have I received in comparison to everyone else? Am I better? You know, do I have more? Do I have less? Should I feel sorry for myself? Should I feel grateful? You know? And, but what I can know is when there's a sense of certainty or a sense of clinging to an identity, and I could see that I could have a little more humility or, openness about that or just see kind of not even so much you know whether it's true or not, but what function psychologically that any clinging to that view is playing. And in my experience it's that, you know, um yeah, looking for some ground. And honestly, it was some ground. I mean for me it was like, yeah, kind of feeling yeah, I don't know. I guess, like I was, like I didn't get enough. And I still kind of feel that way. But, uh, but there's a lot to go around actually. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing about, like, like, part of it too, I think, is, yeah, it is a lot of it's in that self view. because it may be true on, a, on one level. yeah, it is true on one level. We're born into different circumstances, all sorts of different, you know you know, ways that we have more and less resources, you could say, including love. <laughs> uh, but we've got a full working system here. And it's attuned to love. I mean, on a very basic, you know, level, I think I've been more interested in just kind of tuning into that mammalian social conditioning that's just so hardwired. It's, and it, and I think it's like, it's not always done perfectly. That's also been helpful to me, like, to see the, like, it's rare, I think it's rare where, where people, like I was kind of mentioning that earlier, like to really know that experience, unconditional positive regard, benevolence, and like really have that as your home base completely. I mean, I haven't met that many people. And we have different conditioning, you know. But, um, but just to see that potential in a way, or even that, like everyone wants that, but we don't quite know how to do it, so we love each other imperfectly. But kind of sensing into that, uh, like, that need, that want, that vulnerability, that longing, and that in itself, and then the relationship with that. So it's all a grounds for relationship and for learning. So, I mean, kind of a short answer could be no matter where we are, yeah, we're all, no matter where we are, This can be cultivated, which is, I think, something that is kind of good to hear and we may not always hear in other circles, but in Buddhist circles and from the Buddhist teachings, this is something to be cultivated, something to be, to familiarize ourselves with, to, you know, and wherever we find it, wherever the seed is, no matter how small it is, no matter how, you know, not on our radar, but it's a seed and it feels good, and so we abide there. We learn how to, and it grows. And, yeah. So that would be my answer. Thanks for that great question. We've got time for one more, I think.
2: Um, One possibility might be in the, the poem that you read, and towards the end she talked about I don't know what the words were the dark side the shadow and and said that there is no love without an understand without without that without that opposite it's like you know a jungian shadow it's just part of who you are and when the two can be integrated and, and part of who you are is, is from your upbringing and the whole project maybe the whole idea of love is is to integrate those two, and and then the other the other <laughs> the problem I always have with love is it just has this ridiculous romantic connotation that's they so hard to get around, and it also has this huge you know um, significance that's just really kind of foreboding.
1: The romantic, and yeah, yeah, translation. yeah,
2: not just romantic, but just such a huge thing that we can't achieve, you know, and or you know, right, um, yeah. except in a hallmark way, but maybe. Um, but maybe it's commitment. You know, maybe you're showing maybe you're showing love simply by changing diapers or whatever you're doing now at the stage, uh, over and over and over and over again, between the episodes of being really frustrated and not really loving. <laughs> you know, you just keep going back to that idea or that commitment or that belief. Yeah, and that's what it amounts to. I don't know.
1: Yeah. What's your name? David. Thanks, David. Uh, Yeah, I really liked that reminder from her poem and that you reminded us of of the relationship between love and suffering. Yeah. I don't know too much what to say there, but it feels very... uh, Yeah. I mean, she mentioned Rebecca on Thursday that in one of these traditional Buddhist lists, suffering is the cause for faith. To arise, and I sort of feel like you know words like surrender. It's kind of like love can be our last option sometimes. You know, when we when we come, when we we try everything else. We try domination and control, and pretending to be loving, and like being loving just in these areas, but not these. And uh, so, yeah, something about that breaking open seems to happen for a lot for. For a lot of us. And yeah, and two, just more specifically, like for those of us who may have some of that conditioning, like Rebecca too has talked about this about, you know, just, yeah, just a lot of difficult conditioning, difficult emotions, you know, a lot of suffering. But she said once, it was really beautiful, how grateful she is. I think she was talking about fear specifically. But how grateful she is because she wouldn't, she wouldn't have been able to develop compassion without those experiences. And I think it's true. I mean, you can see that with some people who have, you know, in some ways like a lot more fortunate, you know, circumstances or just that can be the, the downside of having a lot of um, success in all different levels. You know, real success in ways that even matter. You know, is we could be. A little. Um, yeah, not as in touch with that reality. So, yeah, really a lot of things to discuss. Thanks so much, everyone. We're going to hang out with the kids for a sec.
0: <clears throat> this talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs,